This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. Since the 90s, Capital One has prided itself on being a tech-forward bank. Its CEO said recently that Capital One is a technology company that does banking, not just a bank that uses technology. But this week, we found out that technology failed Capital One in a massive way. 106 million people had their information stolen in a hack. Today on the show, what was Capital One's vulnerability? And is this a sign of a growing risk to our financial system? Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. And I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Friday, August 2nd. On July 17th, an external researcher contacted Capital One and told Capital One that there was reason to believe that Capital One had been breached. Anna Maria Andriotis covers Capital One at the Wall Street Journal. Capital One then looked into that evidence, and by July 19th, so two days after being informed by this tipster, essentially, confirmed that there had been a breach. The bank also confirmed that the breach dated back to March of this year. What data was stolen? A lot of it. I mean, we'll start out with personally identifiable information like names, addresses, dates of birth. But the most shocking by far is the other data, which essentially reflects people's financial standing, credit scores, credit limits, payment histories, incomes. This is really like the ultimate treasure trove of data because I just compare it back to what happened in 2017 with the Equifax data breach, which was definitely among the worst in the U.S., but this certainly rivals that. And with the Equifax breach, the data taken for nearly 150 million Americans was names, addresses, social security numbers, dates of birth, etc. No information in credit reports was taken. Here, you have a breach where you have people's identities that have been compromised, and you also have information about whether they are creditworthy, whether they are affluent, that has also been taken. The reason why this data is so dangerous is because a fraudster can identify whose identities are most worth taking over. So in other words, it's here are the juiciest targets exactly. potentially in that information. Exactly. I mean, and the other thing that's really interesting with the data taken here is that it wasn't just existing Capital One customers. The data that was accessed on the cloud was application data. When you apply for a credit card, the information you give about your income, your credit score, et cetera, that's sitting there, right? So you don't necessarily need to even have a Capital One credit card. Let's say you applied for a Capital One credit card. Your data could still be in that pile that was compromised. Typically with breaches so far, at least, at least on the financial institution side of things, it's been existing customers. Here you have a mix of existing customers, possible future customers, people who are rejected to be customers, because the data is largely based on application data. What do we know about what happened to the data after it was stolen? Capital One has said that it does not believe that the data has actually been put to use. Speaking with companies that track the dark web, we've been doing that since this news came out, so far there doesn't seem to be any evidence that there was 
a massive sort of pile-on of Capital One accounts for sale on the black market. One thing to keep in mind with breaches is that sometimes, especially when they are so high profile, the fraudsters who gain access to the data won't act on it right away. They'll wait for sort of, you know, the first few months to pass when maybe there's less of a focus, maybe people start to forget about what happened, and then act. So best case scenario, it won't be put to use, but remains to be seen. The irony of this hack is that Capital One takes pride in its tech savviness. Capital One launched in the early 1990s, and one of its main focuses was figuring out a way to use data to lend to people who otherwise couldn't get approved for credit cards and other loans. At the time, most banks were relying heavily on credit reports and credit scores, and that, of course, leaves out a lot of subprime people because you have a low credit score, you're not going to get approved. So the bank began taking into account other data to determine whether they should or shouldn't lend to these people, how to price them, their sort of risk level. So data was sort of at the center for the company from when it launched, and the analysis relied heavily on technology. And recently, Capital One took on one big tech initiative, moving all of its data off of its own servers and onto Amazon Web Services. Starting about five years ago, Capital One, at least among the major banks, really led the way in terms of starting to move consumer data from its own data centers to the cloud. AWS, as it's called, is the lesser-known but very profitable arm of Amazon, where large corporations can rent cloud storage space. And the theory here is that storing your data with Amazon is safer Amazon's got some of the world's best cybersecurity experts working to protect any data that's stored on their cloud. Capital One went all in on Amazon and its web services. Its executives even keynoted at an AWS conference. So why did we pick AWS for Capital One? The financial specifically touting the security benefits of Amazon web services. So we work closely with the Amazon team to develop a security model which we believe enables us to operate more securely in the public cloud than we can even in our own data centers. And all of this makes it even more shocking for who is accused to have been behind the hack. At the center of this breach is a woman named Paige Thompson, who is alleged to have been the individual who breached Capital One systems. What's interesting about Ms. Thompson is that she did work at Amazon Web Services. Um, Which is the company that Capital One was using. For their cloud services, exactly. And Ms. Thompson was working there from 2015 to 2016. Right. So she no longer worked at Amazon when she allegedly hacked Capital One. So then how would she have been able to gain access? Amazon has said that this was not an issue on its end. Capital One has admitted that it did not carry through with what it was supposed to do with its own firewall in terms of fully securing it. But that still raises the questions of how did Ms. Thompson gain this access, right? So she was formerly an Amazon employee, but she hadn't been there since 2016. You'll talk to some security experts who will tell you it's unlikely that's a coincidence. Liz Hoffman covers banking, and she's been following this hack along with Anna Maria. It's undisputed that the information that was taken came off of an Amazon server that Capital One was effectively renting. And of course, you know, if she found out something in the course of her employment there that she then used against a customer, that's a real problem for Amazon. So it's unclear whether Paige Thompson's employment at Amazon could have given her any advantage in the alleged hack. But it still raises questions about the security of Amazon's cloud or really any cloud service. 
What Amazon will tell you is that they maintain the data center and that every customer has a door to that data center and that it's the customer's job to guard who gets in the door and who doesn't. What the cloud providers want to tell you is they're just providing the furniture. The problem is that the furniture they're providing is like what makes the whole institution run. And so as more and more of what banks do has been outsourced to technology companies, you have to ask where people should draw that line to say, all right, above this line, it's your fault. Below this line, it's not. And as banks have tried to cut costs and move faster and be able to be more nimble, they've picked up all of these services from all of these people who now all have a key of some of some kind to some part of the bank. And that just heaps so much risk on the whole system. It really highlights, you know, one risk that we haven't thought too much about, which is this huge move to the cloud. It's happening in all sectors, a little slower in banks, but they are starting to get there. And the risks are so much greater there just because of the sensitivity, the information that they hold. After the break, why the risks of a hack like this go way beyond Capital One. This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back. There are a lot of risks that banks face as they move more of their operations online. Our colleague Liz Hoffman has been looking beyond the Capital One hack at the future of how tech creates vulnerabilities for our financial system. How big of a risk is this kind of move to third-party technology? It's big. Jamie Dimon is the CEO of, of J.P. Morgan, biggest bank in the country, said he thinks cyber is the biggest risk to the financial sector. And this is a guy who lived through 2008, so he knows what he's talking about. The old risk to banks that we think of, the kind of run on the bank where people panic and go get their money, that will still happen from time to time. But there's a growing consensus that the next bank failure will happen because of a cyber glitch. Can you say more about that? Banks are based on trust. People put their money in because they think it will be there. And so the old bank runs that you used to see, people were worried that too many other people were taking their money out, so they all went to take their money out. But there's digital trust, too. There's a virtual trust, and it erodes really quickly, too. So many people today do their banking on their phone. If you opened up your phone and all of a sudden your account said zero, it would be massive panic, and that's the same kind of bank run. So whether that's a technology glitch, whether that's a cyber theft, whether it's the money's still there, but the system just says it isn't. I mean, there's so many ways this can go wrong that you have to think of the old banking problems of runs on the bank and bank robberies and, and um, just plain bad management. 
all have a digital component too, and that gets so much riskier the more of our financial system moves to the internet. So are other banks also moving to the cloud? They are a little more slowly than Capital One, but they are. J.P. Morgan announced a blockchain partnership uh, in May with Microsoft that will use Microsoft's cloud, which is called Azure. Goldman Sachs uses AWS to run parts of its retail bank, to run parts of its trading technology. They, in particular, have expressed some caution and asked for a lot of custom security measures with AWS and worked with them for the better part of two years to build what they've called kind of a hybrid public-private cloud. So banks are trying to figure it out, in part because so much more of what they do is now digital. We think about consumer banking. So many of us bank on our mobile phones and websites. People, A lot of people don't go to the bank anymore. And so that just requires huge amounts of data, huge amounts of computing power. You know, every time you want to know what your balance is, that spins up some kind of um, data analytics somewhere. And there's just millions and millions of pings all the time. And so they just need a lot more computing power. And they need it at different times. So it's cheaper to kind of rent it on demand from someone like Amazon. So do you think that this hack that happened with Capital One could be just the first? I think you have to assume it's just the first. And frankly, I wouldn't even assume it's the first. There are thousands of attempted cyber attacks every day. And actually, corporate America's batting average is pretty good. It's just so relentless. And the hackers only have to be lucky once. Banks have to be lucky every day. The scope of Thompson's alleged hack is growing. She appears to have posted messages online that suggest that she had a trove of stolen files from other places, including Michigan State University, the Ford Motor Company, and Italy's largest bank, Unicredit. Some of these places are also AWS customers. Amazon said it's reaching out to them to help investigate. Meanwhile, Liz Hoffman reported yesterday that, in the spring, for the first time, federal banking regulators showed up at an Amazon cloud office and started asking questions. The visit doesn't appear to have been about the hack, but it signals that the government believes Amazon and other cloud companies are now so central to the banking system that they need to be watched closely. That's all for today, Friday, August 2nd. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Your hosts are me, Ryan Knudsen. And me, Kate Leinbaugh. We're produced by Ricky Nevetsky, Sarah Platt, and Willa Rubin. Our senior producer is Pia Gedkari. Annie Rose Strasser is our supervising producer. Griffin Tanner is our engineer. And our executive producer is Gerard Cole. Our music this week comes from Haley Shaw from Gimlet, Additional music from Jupiter, Staggering Vistas, and Blue Dot Sessions. And thanks to Nazanin Rafsanjani and Alex Bloomberg for their editing help. Thanks for listening. See you on Monday.